we're going to share four biblical characters that God called specifically to. Because we have a God who calls us for vocation, calls us for specific roles and tasks, and also calls us for a purpose. And as we'll discover when we look at each of these biblical characters, sometimes there's resistance to that call because God sometimes calls us out of our comfort zone, even to the point to ask us to take on roles we never imagined for ourselves. And certainly we'll find that's the case in these stories. I hope somewhere as we, we share them, you'll see yourselves in these stories, identify that resistance within yourself that can only be resolved through God's grace and through his power. Now, before I read the scripture today, I think I need to catch you up because our scripture passage is actually the, the last chapter, Jonah, the fourth chapter, Jonah. There's only four chapters in the whole book of Jonah. So let me try to give you a quick summary of the first three. And let me also mention that uh, we tend to downplay the book of Jonah. Uh, my guess is if I asked you what you know about the book of Jonah, you'll say it's had something to do with, with uh, Jonah in a whale, right? That's it. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. And because of that, we often, it becomes an obscure book in our Christian faith. It's one of the minor prophets that, uh, in our Bible. But you know, for the Jewish people, it's a book held in high esteem. You know, for centuries, it has been read, the entire book, all four chapters, in its entirety on the afternoon of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar. They do so because this book shares the story of repentance. It shares its depth so that it understands that repentance is possible for anyone and it extends to all persons. So if we were to read the first three chapters, we'd find that God's called Jonah and sends him to Nineveh. Nineveh is the arch enemy of Israel. They're cruel. It's an evil empire in the eyes of Jonah. So without saying a word, Jonah instead heads in the opposite direction. He hops a ship to Tarshish, which is interesting that name, it's an ancient city that would be located in modern Spain. If you know geography, Nineveh is over here, and Tarshish is over there. Or I'll turn around for you this way. The opposite direction. Matter of fact, to the Jewish people, Tarshish, was, that was the edge of the world as they knew it. He thought if he ran far enough away, he wouldn't have to follow through on what God was asking him to do. But God has other plans, so God blows up a storm, and the ship that he's on gets so rough, and they discover that Jonah's the reason for this storm, and at his suggestion, they throw him overboard. Jonah assumes he's headed to his death, and he's okay with that. He'd rather do that than preach to the Ninevites. But God has other plans. He uses a fish large enough to swallow Jonah where he sits three days and three nights, in the belly of that fish, and then he prays to God, and God delivers him as the fish vomits him out onto dry land. But his work is not done, because God calls a second time and says to go to Nineveh. This time, he obeys. I think I would too, wouldn't you? And he goes, and he probably gave the most half-hearted effort he could give. I think it, it records one sentence and somehow that one sentence is enough 
to bring repentance to the people of Nineveh. The repentance is so complete that it word even reaches the king, and he rips off his royal robe, he falls on his knees, he puts on garments of mourning, and there he sits in ashes. He decrees that every human and every animal will go without water and food. He decrees that every human in animal is to put on garments of mourning. Now tell me, what does a garment of mourning look like for a cow? I don't know, but that's what it says. And God changes his mind. And instead of continuing the plan for the destruction, he relents. And guess what? Jonah, in spite of his success, is upset. And he grieves. And that leads us to the scripture that we have today, which has got an interesting story in itself. So follow along with me. But Jonah thought this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, come on, Lord. Wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. <clears throat> At this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me because it would be better for me to die than to live. The Lord responded, Is your anger a good thing? But Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. There he made himself a hut, and he sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the people in the city. Then the Lord God provided a shrub, and it grew up under, over Jonah, providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about the shrub, but God provided a worm the next day at dawn and attacked the shrub so that it died. Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that it became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, It's better for me to die than to live. Jonas, God said to Jonah, Is your anger about the shrub a good thing? And Jonah said, Yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. But the Lord said, You pity the shrub for which you didn't work and which you didn't raise. It grew in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh and that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Now part of the reason Christians undervalue this book is because we try to make it something it is not. We've wasted so much time arguing how a human being can exist in the belly of a fish or a whale for three days and three nights that we missed the whole point of the story. And you know me, I hope, well enough to know that I cherish the sacred scriptures. They are my primary source of authority for truth. But you also know I can get really testy when people try to make a book of the Bible something it was not intended to be. And that's the case oftentimes with Jonah. Just like the creation stories, that don't share to try to explain scientific truth or exactly how we came to be in this world, but it expresses the truth that God is the creator of all things and he brings order to the chaos of this world. We miss that theological truth, and the same is the case with the book of Jonah. Jonah, this story, is much like a parable. It's a story built around a historical character. Jonah shows up in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It says that he's the son of Amittai. 
even shares the location. But that's where the history ends. It's not intended as a historical account. It's intended much like one of Jesus' parables, a story that expresses a great truth. And we know that because if you read the book, you discover there's no genealogical markers. There's no geographical markers that you find in the books of the Old Testament that are intended as history, like First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And in addition to this, this miracle of surviving in the belly of the fish, you got this shrub that grows large enough to provide shade in one day, and then it dies just as quickly. And if you read the book, you'll discover the flow events seem to take place in about the period of a week. And we know the distance that's traveled and how word has to take time to get across. It certainly cannot be the case. And even another marker is this word, the Hebrew word gadal. It's translated great. It's used 14 times in just 48 verses, which is a, an extreme word, an exclamation word. Words much like Jesus used in his parables. So please take the story as it's intended. Let's listen to the message it has for us. So let's talk about Jonah. <clears throat> Jonah reminds us a little bit of the prodigal son, doesn't he? He doesn't end up looking too good. First, he runs away as far away as he can. Then he complains about his success in his prophecy. And then he complains even more about this tree or shrub. He seems to always be complaining. See, Jonah ran thinking that somehow it was possible to get beyond the reach of God. He went to Tarshish because if he went by sea, the thought is that the gods who they saw in ancient times as only having power over a region, over a land, he thought he could flee it. And he should have known better. He was a prophet. He knew the God that they worshipped was the God of all creation. He should have known and he discovered that you cannot hide from God. You cannot run from God. But let's don't be too hard on Jonah. You've got to keep in mind, he, it's not that he lacks faith. He, he knew what God is capable of. But he lacked appreciation for God's mercy. He runs because he despises the Ninevites. That's the real problem. Nineveh isn't just an evil empire. They would be the nation that a few decades down the road would end up coming back and obliterating the northern kingdom. And somehow Jonah might have had a sense of that. So he was wanting that evil that God had planned for Nineveh. Jonah knew that God's mercy was greater than God's justice. And as he saw the world, there was no way that what's good for Nineveh can be good for Israel. Jonah saw God as Israel's God to the exclusion of others. He had a theology of scarcity. He couldn't conceive of a world where God's mercy extends to all. And you know, we're a lot like Jonah. When I think about myself, you know, I, I watch the news and I notice something about myself. When, when I watch the news, I notice I have a lot more concern and compassion for people and places where I've been, where I can see it and sense and visualize it. I notice that I tend to feel more compassion and energy towards people that look like me, also who speak that same language like me. I guess that's only human. 
And so we do as human beings is we, we tend to want to draw that circle around where our care and compassion should go. We close that circle around as we define where our generosity should ex extend. We limit our responsibility because the emotional demands upon us sometimes become too great. But that's not the God that we deserve, that we serve. And that's why Jonah ran. And that's why sometimes we run in certain ways. He couldn't see the world or God larger than Israel. And he fled despite whatever he was going to lose. Jonah was willing to die instead of going to share the word with Nineveh. But God's bigger than that. God is the creator of the universe and all that it's in it. God is the creator of the Ninevites as well as Jonah in Israel. And he found a way to save Jonah and to restore him to his call in spite of his reluctance. And that's part of the good news we need to hear today. To know that God doesn't give up on Jonah. And God doesn't give up on us. No matter how far away from God we've gotten, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, God's mercy is always there for us. God sees you as you are. And he loves you as you are. There is nowhere to hide and there's no need to hide. I don't know how many of you got to read this story that was in the Committed to Christ book that we just finished up. In that last chapter where it talks about, no, about hands-on service, it shares the story of Jack. And Jack was someone who had a problem with alcohol. He had a family, wife, and some kids. And... He was often neglecting them, often out partying and drinking. Well, one night after a night of reverie, he woke up and realized it was Christmas Day. And he realized that he also hadn't bought any presents for his children. He lived in a small town, so he called up the owner of the local drugstore, and he said, I, I, I've got to get some presents. I don't have any presents for my kids. And the owner of the drugstore said, Jack, it's Christmas. I need to be home with my children. But he continued to plead, and so the owner of the drugstore relented, went to open his store, and when he was opening up the door, he realized Jack didn't have enough money to pay for any presents. As he went in out of compassion for his children, not so much for Jack, he said, it's Christmas, so whatever your children need, it's free. Jack picked out a few things, and that night after the children had opened the presents, Jack, so moved by the generosity of that drugstore owner, prayed with his wife for the first time in his life. And something changed there. After a few months of sobriety and being overwhelmed with the love that he would now experienced, he started to think about all the other men in his town that, that also suffered. And the pain that their families had gone through, and, and the families that some of them had lost. And so Jack started the Gospel Rescue Mission in the town of Fort Smith, Arkansas. And then a few months after that, another one in Van Buren. And those centers that continue to help families, that continue to share the gospel, that continue to share Jesus, still exist 40 years later. And think about what might not have happened if not for the generosity of that owner of that drugstore. God's mercy 
is much like that. And here's the other good news. God not only didn't give up on Jonah, he didn't give up on the Ninevites, a people that were known for their cruelty and their arrogance. Jonah was one of the few successful prophets, and yet he's disappointed when they choose to repent. And then you have this strange story that we read in our passage today, verses 10 and 11, about that shrub, that tree that grows. Jonah asked, God asked Jonah, does this shrub really matter that much to you? And his response is, yes, even unto death. And God asked him, so you care more about this plant that you had nothing to do with, that came in one day and was gone the next, and yet you cannot understand how I would have pity on 120,000 Ninevites whom I created and don't know their right hand from their left. And you know that the book of Jonah is the only book in the Bible, the only book in the Bible that ends with a question. We have no idea what Jonah does after this. We don't know if he is moved and ends up going to Nineveh or remains in his bitterness. And that open-ended question leaves us with some questions. Do we care more about our comfort than the basic human needs of people outside our realm of interest? Who are the Ninevites in your life? What groups or ethnicities have you written off in the world as not deserving of your interest, your compassion, or your generosity? And who is God calling you to love only because of your commitment to Jesus Christ? We need to ask that question because the God we serve is described well in our passage when Jonah paraphrased the 145th Psalm, which I'd like for you to repeat with me, please. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. The book of Jonah was written for a people that had closed the world around themselves. They'd grown too interested in their own comfort to the exclusion of others. It continues to be read among the Jewish people to remind them of God's infinite mercy for all people and all places. So may God continue to expand the depth of our love within us so that we include all persons, regardless of who they are or where they come from. 